Welcome to our 44th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your host, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Uh, Russell, we've had just amazing just emails and, and Facebook messages. Shout out to Craig Moore. He sent us a bunch of stuff about the SPGs, and, and we're going to have to do an episode on SPGs. But since we've worked out most of the kinks of Skype, let's get him on Skype. Yeah. Yeah, we really need to. That guy is so knowledgeable. And he's, you know, an ex-cop. So we, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> shout That's, out. Shout out to Craig. Huh? It's always a plus two. Yeah, you gotta like <laughs> your brothers in blue. What was that book he turned me on to from uh, Hillary Doyle? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, he mentioned also about maybe doing an episode on the Infrared Panthers. I you think know, we've talked about that a little bit in the past. We talked about that, and it just blew us away. And I think Craig knew that we hadn't researched that very much, so he turned us on to this book called uh, Panzer Tracks, and it's by Hillary Lewis Doyle. And you can get it on a- Amazon, but it's called Panzer Tracks. And uh, I sent off for it. I'm still waiting for Amazon to send it to me, and I- I'm looking forward to the read. Basically, when I read up a book. About this, you know, infrared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like that day that we did the episode, we were blown away uh, by yeah, the fact exactly. that the Germans had infrared. And I was looking forward to reading that, but I got to get the book and read it first. I know, I know. But if you guys uh, don't know about Hillary uh, Doyle, he's the man on the Oh, tanks. he is. He's, um, he's awesome. He's an older gentleman, uh, but he's got years and years and years of yeah. that. And has been with these tanks. And Isn't he involved with the tank museum? Down there with uh, Rob. Yeah, Rob Kogan. Yeah, he's down there and he's actually done some stuff with Sophie uh, Watt. And if you haven't seen Sophie Watt, just Google it. She's got <laughs> Twitch and everything else. Oh, yeah. She does a lot of streaming on World of Tanks game. And, and uh, shout out to uh, uh, Rita Gamer. She's also a big big eu world of tank i guess streamer you would call her but she's actually went to uh certain tank sites and you know help rebuild it or wow. you know grind it down yeah. and uh that'd be neat to be in a position like that someday yeah she, so she's living the dream you know if you're interested in tanks <laughs> oh yeah these are people you need a to follow a lot of knowledgeable people out there and hey a lot of them's got youtube channels that actually sits there and and talks about it on a video too so yeah just do a search. Okay, so the first key point I think we're going to talk about, we actually got a request from Facebook. Uh, they're like, hey, when are you going to do the T-35 uh, Soviet heavy tank? And I'm like, that's the ugliest tank. <laughs> I, you've seen pictures of it. Oh, I have. It is one of the ugliest tanks I think I've ever seen. But it, it's like having a bulldog. It's so ugly, you just love it. So when we were sitting there uh, researching this tank and reading about it and looking at the pictures, I'm like, man, this is ugly. But The only thing I can think is maybe they were trying to make it intimidating. Well, it's, <laughs> it's intimidating. <laughs> if you were, you know... Back then, and yeah, you saw that thing rolling towards yeah, you. It's got some firepower built into it. Uh, you know, it, it does definitely look like a rolling death march. <laughs> and then, uh, usually, our second point, you know, is non tank related, but uh, we're going to talk about Operation Wandering Soul. What was that? Was very, it? very interesting. If you it's... guys are inter- 
interested in the psychological warfare. Uh, Operation Wandering Soul during the Vietnam War uh, just caught our attention because it was just so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, those psychological warfare has been going on since the beginning of time. Yeah. But this one actually caught me and Russ's attention, and we were like, this is creepy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get on to the first point, you know. So you'll you'll definitely want to stick around, stick around for the second point. The T-35 was a Soviet multi-turreted heavy tank of the interwar period and early Second World War that saw limited production and service in the Red Army, often called a land battleship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a land battleship. <laughs> It was the only five, yes, five turreted heavy tank in the world to reach production, but proved to be slow and mechanically unreliable. Most of the T-35 tanks still operational at the time of Operation Barbarossa were lost due to mechanical failure rather than enemy action. Kind of like the uh, Tiger Tank or uh, Panther tanks. Yeah. You know, they were t- trying to send the T-35s out there and Panthers were <laughs> breaking down on the Golly. way too. Outwardly, it was large, but internally the spaces were cramped. The fighting compartments separated from each other. Some of the turrets obscured the entrance hatches. You know, so here's another thing put out. If if you're in a turret and then all of a sudden your hatches to escape are blocked by these turrets and it catches fire, not a good deal. To put it lightly, I think you're probably screwed. Yeah, SOL. <laughs> all right, Russ, go ahead. The T-35 was developed by the OKMO Design Bureau of the Bolshevik Factory, which began work on a heavy tank in 1930. Two teams developed separate designs. The team headed by German engineer Grote worked on the 100-ton four-turreted TG-5 tank armed with a 107mm naval gun using pneumatic servo controls and pneumatic suspension. This project was later canceled. So they bring in a German engineer and he puts a 107mm naval gun on it. And this, but it, it, you guys will have to research this on your own. Uh, TG uh, 5. <laughs> it's crazy. Let's put a naval gun on uh, it. I know. It'll, I know. it'll kill the tank. But you know, this is not the first time we've heard about putting naval guns on that yeah, we've talked about yeah. putting naval guns on tanks. Yeah, the Japanese did it sure. in World War II. The concept of large, multi turreted brick through tanks was favored by several European armies in the 1920s and 1930s. Designs existed in Britain, France, and Germany for such vehicles. The second OKMO team, headed by N. Seitz, worked on a tank inspired by the British Vickers A1E1 Independent. Now, have you seen the British uh, Vickers A1E1 Independent? I don't think I've seen that particular Uh, Vickers, yeah. All right, people, there's another tank you should look Uh, up. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a weird-looking thing, too. By July 1932, a prototype of a 35-ton tank with a 76.2-millimeter tank gun was completed. The first prototype was further enhanced with four smaller turrets, two with 37-millimeter guns, and two with machine guns. This first prototype had severe defects in its transmission and was considered too complex and expensive for mass production. Work on it was therefore stopped and a new simpler prototype was built. This new prototype received a new engine, a new gearbox, and an improved transmission. The decision was also made to standardize the turrets used on the T-35 with those employed on the T-28, which was a triple turreted medium tank. These small machine gun turrets were identical 
on the two tanks. The large main turret housing the 76.2 millimeter gun was nearly identical, but those used on the T-28 had an additional rear-firing machine gun. You gotta watch your rear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on August 11th, 1933, the T-35 was accepted for production. Engineering was shifted to the Kharkov Locomotive Factory, and two batches of 10 vehicles were completed. The experiences gained with the two prototypes were used for the main production T-35 model 1935, which was again improved from the second prototype with a longer chassis, improved hull, and 45 millimeter guns in place of the 37s. It started production in 1935, and about 35 were built by 1938. So they changed from 37 millimeter guns to 45. The 45s, yeah. All right, I can see their plan. Sure. In general... Throughout its production run, small improvements were made to the individual tanks. Production tanks had turrets similar to the ones on the BT-5, but without the rear overhang. Some examples had flamethrowers instead of one of the 45mm guns. The final batch was a run of six T-35 model 1938s, which had new turrets with sloped armor all the way around, as well as modified side skirts and new idler wheels. They got this thing... They've upped the guns, they've upped the transmission, upped the engine, they've sloped the armor. So far, sounded yeah. like a pretty yeah. good plan. They really made some improvements in the three years and they started building them. Yeah, but you know my favorite part of the show is the stats, so give us some stats. Okay. The T-35's service history was 1935 to 1941. And like we talked about earlier, it was designed by the OKMO Tank Design Bureau. It was actually designed... Between 1930 and 1932, and it was produced between 1933 and 1938. They built 61 of them. They had a mass of 45 tons. Now that's a lot of weight. It is a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of weight. Yeah, that's a lot of steel right there. It had a length of 9.72 meters or 31 feet 11 inches. Good lord, that's a long. Uh, it is very long. Yes. Okay. Land battleship. I know. It had a width of 3.20 meters or 10 foot 6 inches. It had a height of 3.43 meters or 11 foot 3 inches. Oh no. I know. It's taller than oh, my Lee. Oh man. The Lee is beat again. But how many episodes is is it taken to well, We're on episode this is the, this 44. This is the second one that's beat it. So that's not bad. Oh. 44 episodes and only two beat well, the Okay, so this thing's you know, 31 foot long, or like they said, 9.72 millimeter or uh, meters. What kind of crew does this thing have? It had a crew of 11. 11? 11 tankers. <laughs> 11. That is, that's crazy. I think the Lee had, Man. what, nine? Nine at the max? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, what kind of armor? It had an armor of 11 to 30 millimeters thick. Had a main armament of a 76.2 millimeter gun. Model 27-32. It had secondary armament of two 45mm 20K guns. It also had five or six 7.62mm DT machine guns. Some models of this tank had five machine guns. Some had six. Okay. What kind of engine is this thing running? It had a Michelin M-17M V12 petrol engine. Put out about 500 horsepower. Let's put a V12 in that baby. Well, but you know what? That heavy with even that engine, yeah. what was this power to weight? Power to weight ratio was about 11 horsepower per ton. Oh, yeah. so this thing was crawling. Yeah. It had a coil spring suspension and it had about 150 kilometer operational range. Comes out to about 93 miles. You got to hit me. 
What was the max speed on this thing? Max speed was about 30 kilometers per hour or 19 miles per hour. <laughs> and that's wide open Man, going as fast yeah. as it can, folks. Oh, okay. Uh, good stuff, Russ. Uh, tell us a little bit about its combat history. The T-35 served with the 5th Separate Heavy Tank Brigade in Moscow, primarily for parade duties from 1935 until 1940. In June 1940, the question was raised as to whether to withdraw the T-35s from frontline service with the option to either convert them to heavy, self-propelled artillery or to assign them to the various military academies. The choice was made to use them up in combat instead, and their surviving vehicles were collected together in the 67th and 68th Tank Regiments of the 34th Tank Division, which served with the 8th Mechanized Corps in the Kiev Special Military District. So they have these big, big, huge land ships, and they're like, okay, do we use them as trainers? You know, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, we're being pushed back. We need to throw everything on the front. So they shoved these things up in the front. Do we know... When the first combat engagement happened, you know, the like the first fight? Yeah, the first known combat engagement of the T-35 took place sometime at the end of June 1941 in the broader fighting in the Lviv area known as the Battle of Brody. T-35 tanks belonging to the 34th Tank Division and trailing their... Well, there's a cat on your head. What's up, Lightning? Hey. Nice of you to... Pop in and say hi yeah. to everybody. The T-35 tanks belonging to the 34th Tank Division and trailing their unit lead elements due to poor tactical mobility encountered advancing German armor on the unpaved road between the towns of Verba and Ticha. The battle is documented only on photographs taken in the aftermath and shows seven destroyed Soviet tanks, including four T-35s. And two of these vehicles have having suffered catastrophic ammunition explosions and three German tanks destroyed. If you guys are hearing little bumps and stuff, it's lightning the cat. Yeah, she finally decided to join in today. Uh, most of the time, she's asleep. Yeah. But she's up here now blocking the screen, yeah. rubbing her face against the uh, mics. I swear, she's she's a mess today. It, you, know, you know, I hate to say it, anytime we talk about Soviet tanks, lightning uh, yeah, pops out. She does. You know, if, if it's British, American, yeah, yeah. French, uh, well, all the other tanks, she's not interested. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are we going to Comrade Cat now? Yeah. Change your name? Lightning, quit. What's up, Lightning, huh? Lightning, what are you doing? <laughs> She's full of it today. Lay down, be good. We can't start the show until you're done. Lay down. There you go. Good girl. The T-35 wrecks show evidence of hits by 37mm cannon fire, and the vehicles could have been engaged by towed German 8.8cm flat guns brought in to deal with heavily armored Soviet KV tanks also active in this sector. A Soviet report from the period identifies four T-35s lost on June 30th in this area with the loss of 15 crew. You know, and that's they, not bad that, considering yeah. that you had 11 in each. And, and they're talking about of the four tanks, you know, and, and you think about that two of those tanks basically got ammo racked, you yeah, know, just blown all, yeah, blown to kingdom come, and, you know, for losing 15. Yeah, that's not bad. Well, that's sad, but you yeah, know, I know, but you know, like they're saying, a lot worse, yeah, they most of these crews. Or most of these tanks had 11 crew members. Yeah. And with no really easy way to get out if their hatches were blocked like we were talking about earlier. I mean, that's be another factor. 
the downside is, you know, these Germans brought these 88s. Of course, you know, we all, all know about the 88s. And, you know, they towed them in. And, and they're waiting for, like, the KV-2s, KV-1s, and stuff like that. And here comes a slow-moving T-35. Yeah. And German gunners had to be going, <laughs> well, I've got to hit this one. Reminds me of the Atari Duck Hunt game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the old days. Yeah. That shows my age a little bit. Oh, doesn't it? Don't feel bad. My very uh, first video game was Pong. Pong, yeah. My dad brought it, uh, bought it from Zenith, I think ah, it was. Ah, there you go. So cool. it was on the TV. Oh, well, we got off track again. Yeah. As if we you don't know what do. we're talking about, you can look up Pong, search for Pong on, yeah, yeah. on your favorite search engine and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah. Come a long way in video games in the last several years uh, talking about video games you know we're we're sitting playing you know high definition I world know, of tanks I and I, i'm just amazed by that game it yeah. keeps improving and oh, improving yeah, it does incredible anyway getting back to the t-35 on june 1st 1941 the red army possessed only 58 vehicles of this type of those 48 were in combat ready condition during operation barbarossa the majority of the T-35s lost by the 67th and 68th tank regiments were lost not to enemy action, but through either mechanical failure or immobilization, which resulted in these vehicles being abandoned and destroyed by their crews. The most common causes of breakdown were transmission-related. However, the T-35 proved to have a greater automotive reliability and both the T-34 and KV tanks deployed at the same time. You know me. I'm a huge T-34 fan. Yeah, me too. In, in fact, yeah. one of my favorite tanks out there is the T-34-85. Yeah, mine too. Yep. We've done an episode, and they told you they had, what, 600 hours of life suspected? Yeah. You know, they were just kicking these tanks out. So even though the KVs and the T-34s, you know, were out there, they were breaking down more than yeah. this 1930s. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that shows they were kicking these tanks out as fast as they could sure. back then, and they were doing the T-35. And yeah. most of them were getting stuck in the horrible mud. Oh, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. You know, with the side skirts and all that. heavy, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It, it's just sinking, you know, land ship sunk out in the middle of them, and they got to blow them up because they can't give them up. With most of the failures arising from running the tanks beyond their normal service intervals, very little in the way of field repair or vehicle workshops, and almost no spare parts support. Some T-35s involved in the long marches, delaying actions, and retreat, which characterized the beginning of the campaign, saw well over 500 kilometers driven on unpaved roads and even off-road before experiencing any significant failure. Again, I, I want to point out, everybody looks at the T-35 in history as kind of a joke tank. Here's a tank that isn't getting serviced when it when it's supposed to be, that the designers are saying, hey, when you get this many hours or th these many miles on this tank, it needs to be serviced. These are the parts that needs to be replaced. They stick it out in the field yeah. with no parts, no mechanics and everything, and, and they're still working better yeah. than what yeah. the KVs and, the and what they had KV before. Yeah. They must have really had some issues with transmissions back then is all I can think. I mean, sure, they were probably too much weight for the type of transmissions that they were using. But, I mean, all this is kind of, we've talked about, you know, mechanical failures on tanks in a lot of our episodes and usually comes down to transmission issues. Well, and you got to bring back 
or if you're a tanker, you're going to know a little bit about this. In the field, you're getting a driver that's under fire mm, in any sure. enemy territory. I'm sure you're ramming the dang transmission and, and back and forth. And, and, and you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You're stuck. Yeah. You know, you're going to be rocking this thing back and forth. You're doing stuff. Doing everything you can. This transmission was not to made move. to do. Okay, well, we heard about the first combat engagement. Do we know when the last combat engagement was? The last recorded action of the T-35 took place during the First Battle of Kharkov, where four tanks undergoing repairs at their home factory, renamed Factory Number 183, were made roadworthy, rearmed, and hastily pressed into service in the defense of the city. At least one captured T-35 was shipped to Germany for evaluation at the Kummersdorf Military Proving Ground. This tank, serial number 715-62, was meticulously inspected and showed widely divergent armor thickness values using its construction, likely the result of poor quality control of armor plate supplied by the steel mills. In April 1945, this tank, now stripped of most of its armament and immobile, was assigned to Panzer Brigade 150 and towed into the town of Zosen, where it was used as a fixed fortification and barricade. The T-35 is sometimes cited as having participated in the Winter War against Finland, but according to Soviet sources, it did not. In fact, two other prototypes of multi-turreted heavy tanks had been sent to the front for testing. The T-100 and SMK single turret KV-1s also took part in the same test at the Battle of Suma. The SMK tank was disabled by a Finnish landmine, and all attempts to recover the 55-ton behemoth failed. Finnish photographs of the previously unknown tank were mistakenly designated T-35C by German intelligence. And again, here's some fun stuff for our listeners to go look up these tanks. Sure. But what impresses me is they had four of these tanks in Kursk. The Germans are coming and they run back to the factory and they're like, we need tanks. We need them now. So they load these tanks up and shove them off the assembly line straight into a battle. And the Germans capture one and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we're going to research it and find everything else we can about it, which is standard operating procedure. Yeah. But then the Germans are like, oh, okay, we're going to go use it as a fixed fortification. <laughs> you know what? Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's kind of impressive. It is. Yeah. One tank survives and is in a preserved but, but running condition at the Kubinok. Kubinka. Uh, Kubinka Tank Museum near Moscow. It survived World War II because it was one of the four T-35 machines that were used at training facilities in the Soviet rear. You can still see this tank, and they still have yeah. it running. Yeah. In fact, uh, we were looking at uh, pictures, and we found a couple of you know people out there hanging on it, driving it around. So uh, you know, at least the Soviets got to save one. Yeah, exactly. You know, in America, we just yeah put it up for target practice and shoot them apart. And also, just to put out there, if any of our listeners has actually been to the Kabinka Tank Museum near Moscow, give us a shout and, and or pictures or anything that you was able to get. And because I've I've always been interested in that particular museum, and it'd be neat to get to someday. And, and that brings up an interesting fact: we got a uh, email that really impressed us, 
And, and we want to give a really big shout out because this gentleman was very, very cool. And he sent us a bunch of very rare pictures. Now, I'm going to try to get with uh, Craig and uh, some of the other guys and say, hey, these are actual Soviet pictures of the Soviet tanks in action when the Iron Curtain was up. And the pictures are very, very, very rare. Um, this was taken by an actual tanker. The guy that sent it to us is Vico. I'm going to kill your name, guy, and I apologize, but Bilica. Isn't that right? Vilic. Bilic. Okay. We appreciate it. Um, we are not going to release these pictures just yet. We want uh, Craig and everybody else to take a look at them, get them to him or those guys, and see if there's anything uh, of value besides historical. And if there is, we're, we're going to contact uh, Vico and say, hey, you know, you might want to do something with that. If they don't have really anything but historical value, then we're going to post them and, and let these guys post them. But uh it was mostly about the T-72 tank that this guy was driving. And uh, these pictures are just it's, amazing. It's incredible, yeah. To know neat. that this guy was a Soviet tanker mm -hmm. during the Iron Curtain Cold War and, and that pictures were not allowed and cameras were rare to have. And for him to bring him in and pass him along to uh, Vico is just amazing. I guess that brings us to our psychological warfare second point operation wandering soul and yes it is creepy and uh yes it was a u.s u.s sponsored uh warfare <laughs> we're not going to get into that uh tell us about this russ operation wandering soul was a propaganda campaign exercised by U.S. forces during the Vietnam War. The operation played off the belief of many Vietnamese in the wandering soul. It is the Vietnamese belief that the dead must be buried in their homeland or their soul will wander aimlessly in pain and suffering. Vietnamese feel that if a person is improperly buried, then their soul wanders constantly. They can sometimes be contacted on the anniversary of their death and near where they died. Vietnamese honor these dead souls on a holiday when they return to the site where they died. The U.S. used this to their advantage and tried to trick the Viet Congs into leaving by playing the audio recording of their dead friends wandering around. Okay, so to make this a short thing... <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. knows that the Vietnamese believe that they're not buried in their hometown or, you know, they're not buried in their home. And, and these guys are out in the jungle and everything. And they want these people to get out of the jungle rather than going in and fighting them and stuff or oh, tracking right. them down. Uh, okay, PSYOPs is scary. Uh, uh, go ahead, Russ. U.S. engineers spent weeks recording eerie sounds and altered voices which pretended to be killed Viet Cong for use in the operation with the intended purpose of instilling a sense of turmoil within the enemy, the desired result being for the soldier to flee his position. The tape, dubbed Ghost Tape Number 10, was played on loudspeakers outside United States bases. Helicopters were also sometimes employed to broadcast recordings in which the voices called on their descendants in the Viet Cong to defect and cease fighting. Wow. I'm not going to comment. I'm Man. just going to let you tell the story. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it after. The extent of the operation's success is unknown, 
The Viet Cong usually encountered return fire if they reacted to the recordings, thus nullifying the intended outcome of the operation. Okay, let's just talk about this for a sec. So, remember, me and Russ love the Vietnamese people. We have no problem with Vietnam. In fact, we would love to go over there sometime. They actually have a tank museum over there with captured uh, South Vietnamese and American uh, different allied UN forces, uh, military vehicles. And we'd love to go over there. The Vietnamese that me and Russ have had dealings with today at the college campuses and others, they're just amazing people. And they're very proud of their country. But during that time, there was a lot of, I guess you'd call them rural um, farmers that didn't have a lot of knowledge and had a lot of old beliefs and stuff like that. These guys, you know, didn't have access to stuff that we have like televisions and radios and stuff like that. And they would get pressed into service and and they would be given a firearm and put out in these jungles. And this is their belief. And they would play, you know, this music above them. And if you've ever been in a jungle type situation, sound carry. And and it just echoes off everything. Pitch black, dark. But they would get individual patrols loaded with backpacks with speakers. So you'd have U.S. Special Forces out there in the middle of the jungle, knowing that there are enemies out there, and they'd kick on these loudspeakers, and and it would start talking to these, you know, in these creepy noises and everything. You know, I'll I'll be honest, if I'm out in the middle of a jungle, and and I don't know what's going on, and I'm scared of dying, and, and my belief that I've been raised in is if I don't, if I'm not buried in my hometown, you know, my homeland, yeah. I'm going to be wandering and be, you know, in yeah. pain and everything. So I'll be wandering forever. Yeah. When we were researching this, apparently it worked quite a bit. Uh, um, the unfortunate thing is some of the North Vietnamese soldiers were, you know, scared. Yeah. And they're sitting there with, with anybody would stand up and start running away. They'd get shot, you know, because they're shooting at about anything running around. But if you saw somebody, you know, you heard all those creepy stuff and you're in your little, you know, area and all of a sudden people are running at you and they're screaming, you know, and yeah. you're hearing this creepy music. I, that's bad. Uh, Russ, what is some of the stuff they had in the recording translated? Oh, wow. Just to kind of take a little snippet out of a Time magazine dated October 29th, 1965. They wrote a little article on some of the... PSYOP campaigns that the U.S. Army was doing in in Vietnam. I'll kind of read that and kind of explain it a little bit more. All right. Tucked away in their hammocks beneath the dripping, rain-infested canopy, the Viet Cong guerrillas could hardly believe their ears. Out of the night sky came an ominous, warbling whine like bagpipes punctuated with cymbals. It was Buddhist funeral music, a dissonant dirge cascading from the darkness. Then a snatch of dialogue between a mother and a child. Mother, where's daddy? Don't ask me questions. I'm very worried about him, but I miss daddy very much. Why is he gone so long? Then the music and voices faded slowly into the distance, and the platoon settled back to a restless sleep. It was, of course, only one of many sights and sounds that the Viet Cong are greeted to every day, courtesy of the Joint United States Public Affairs Office, which handles psychology warfare in South Vietnam. Funeral dirges, Hal Knightley, 
over Viet Cong redoubts from the loudspeakers of planes, which, with the tape-recorded cries of little children and weird electronic cacophonies, intended to raise terrifying images of forest demons among the superstitious terrorists. During daylight hours, PSYOPs teams with eight aircrafts dumped tons of leaflets on the enemy, about 3,500,000 a week, ranging from safe conduct passes to maps showing the best way to get out of red territory. Says we're the world's worst litterbugs. I'm not going to talk about if it's right or it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, We're just, again, we're telling historical fact. But how creepy is this? That these guys... Playing with uh, these soldiers' uh, minds to uh, enough to... I'm not going to say they were superstitious or anything. They were uneducated. Exactly. And, and, again... I'm uneducated about many things, but when I research it, then I become educated and I know better. But these guys were uneducated about, you know, what was going on. So you're sitting in there trying to get some sleep after worrying about getting shot all day. And this is playing all night long. And then the Americans drop 3,500,000 leaflets on how to bail. So And a map's on where to go. Man. And like you were saying, America's a litter bug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're dropping pamphlets everywhere. Dang. But how creepy is that, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. It'd be interesting to kind of do a little bit more research on its effectiveness. Did uh, it work? To, for everything that I've researched... That it worked on a good percentage. Good percentage. Would it work on me? Uh, It'd make you think. Yeah. Like you said, if you weren't educated enough to know the difference, yeah. How many crack houses did we go into? (laughs) You know, people are like, oh, are you scared of haunted houses? You go into a crack house that has no, it's, it's abandoned. There's no light. There's needles everywhere, and you know the bad guy's in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit yeah. different than Freddy Krueger. Sure, but same thing. These guys are out oh, in yeah. the scary jungle, all sorts of noises, and then they start playing this. You know, yeah. funeral marches. You know, little kids looking for their daddies, God. wives. You know, crying over their. I'm telling you, this is some great uh, stuff, yeah, and, yeah. and we suggest that you read up on this wandering soul. Yeah. I think we're going to do some more psychological warfare stuff and research and put that out. I yeah. think that was pretty interesting. Well, you know, it's been a great episode for us. Yes, I, I enjoyed the ugly but yeah. lovable T-35 <laughs> tank and uh, found out that it's probably not as bad as everybody uh, thought for the time. Sure. I'm just impressed. So do we have any things you know we got to do our patreon shout outs yeah uh we've been sending out the coins we have gotten a few messages listen we're going to tell you straight up if you are a patreon supporter if you join we're going to send you one of these coins and it they're cool i mean they're about what american half dollar size yeah Right around that And uh, they've got like KV-2s printed on them, T-34s, uh, T-54s, just all sorts yeah, of stuff. KV-13, just a little bit of everything. Yeah, KV-13. It's pretty neat stuff. It, it's neat stuff. So if you join our Patreon, uh, make sure you also uh, kick in the address so we can mail yeah. these out. Because we got a bunch. And uh, yep. we want to send them out to people. Um, we got the magazine thing, and I forgot to bring it so you could sign it. Next episode, I, we will announce the giveaway. Uh, me and Russ are both going to sign it. We're going to have Lightning sign it, too. <laughs> We're going to dab her paw in a little <laughs> black ink. I'm sure she'll be really oh, happy. Oh, yeah, she'll be. So, so if there's any blood on the magazine... <laughs> 
It'll uh, be from us getting clawed. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and give our Patreon shout outs. Also, a big shout out to our five member fan club out of New Zealand, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got some. Oh, man. The fan club in New Zealand is growing. Great. Yes. You know what? That's uh, awesome. W- 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 we plan to get there, guys. Yes. Uh, my lovely daughter works for uh, an airline, and she's like, Yeah, I can get you big time discounted tickets. <laughs> And I said, you know what? If we can just save enough money, yeah, she can get us there yeah. super cheap. But we'll just set it. To, we'll, we'll spend the night at Tony's house and have his <laughs> wife cook for us. Yeah. And she's going, I hate these guys. I hate these guys so much. We're going to sit around and drink Tony's beer. Oh, He's geez. like, well, that's what I figured. I... Bunch of fat Americans came, <laughs> drank all my beer, and ate all my food, and then left. <laughs> you know what? Oh, why, why, why are you there? Let's just buy cans of oil and sure. just <laughs> see. Yeah. Americans come for the food, <laughs> the drink, and steal all of your oil. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're oil self sufficient now. Um, give us our Patreon sh- shout outs. Yeah. Thank you, Alejandro, Alex, Mark, Martinez. Been with us pretty much from the start. Born Ben. Oh, thank sh- you, man. Shout out to him. He, yes. he actually did some YouTube t- comments yeah, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt props to him. Yes. Oh, we had uh, uh, somebody else comment. Her name was Song, or his name was Song. Yeah, on YouTube. And we're we're not sure if it's a he or she, but <laughs> they said happy Happy National Blueberry Cheesecake Day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm assuming th- that it was female, but I could uh, be yeah, wrong. But thanks for the shout out, and uh, yeah. the next time send blueberry cheesecake. <laughs> 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 Me and Russ don't cook much, do we? I wish I had more time. And well, I, I can make a, I can make a tuna sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Also, shout out to Kevin Chen. He's still with us. Uh, I think he's still in China. I don't Uh, think, you know, he lives in Canada and he was sent over or he went over. I see. But I don't think he's made it back yet because they haven't started the flights. So Uh, uh, we're hoping everything's going good for you, Kevin. Yeah. Well, we love you, dude. Also, shout out to ODS Thero. Been with us for quite some time now. And and good old Rick Smith. (laughs) Rick. I know. You're the man, Rick. You know, we need to go see Rick, too, one of these days. Yeah. Everybody says, why do you want to go see Rick? I want to punch him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I said, if you want to don't worry, Don't worry, Rick. It don't hurt too much. Hey, remember when I punched that buffalo <laughs> yeah. in the head? Oh, no, 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 uh, no, no, we never punched a buffalo uh, in the head. Nobody ever punched a buffalo. Especially in a national park. Yeah. No, no, we, we, I didn't punch a buffalo. It's protected and it's a federal crime. We did not punch a buffalo in the head. Um, uh, <laughs> So anyway, I've had a great episode and I've had a lot of fun today. But again, if you're holding off on, you know, supporting us, you know, you don't think you're getting any options or anything for it. We give you shout outs every time we do an episode and and we're going to send you some coins. So, and if you're a supporter and you haven't sent us our, your address, please do. Cause we do. I'm sitting here looking at your coins. We've got like 30 of these things. It's just amazing. Okay. Well, that's it. Uh, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking and have a great week. Conflict or confrontation. But we will never run from it. History is filled with discarded regimes that have foolishly tested America's resolve. Anyone who doubts the strength or determination of the United States should look to our past and you will doubt it no longer.